So today is the feast day of St. Padre Pio. I'll probably refer to him as St. Padre Pio rather than St. Pio of Pietrelcina. Uh, so we all know who we're talking about. So St. Padre Pio is uh, quite a, a surprising saint in many ways. Uh, I'm from Thurlis in Tipperary and in Holy Cross nearby there was always a huge devotion to, to St. Padre Pio. They have a, a bust of him and everything and people would come for the various devotions and prayers and things. Padre Pio never stepped foot in Ireland. He was never here. Padre Pio, I'm not even sure actually if he ever left Italy. I don't think he did. I don't remember ever reading that he left Italy. Uh, but if he did, he didn't do any kind of major missions. You know, he wasn't a missionary priest. But so well known the world over. As soon as you see that picture, that kind of sl slight side profile, uh, kind of whitish beard, whitish head, particular haircut, and, and that kind of glint in his eye, you, you know immediately it's Padre Pio. So he's famous the world over for someone who's goal was absolutely never to be known, never to be famous or anything like that. It wasn't his goal at all while he was growing up. So he was born in, in 1887, 1887. And his family would have been particularly poor. It's not the richest part of Italy. It's, it's quite a, a hard place to farm. Uh, it's, quite, it's very stony and quite dry. So olives and goats and sheep maybe. But it's, it's hard to make a, a, a good living there. So his his, his parents were, were, were quite poor, uh, very faithful, though regular daily mass goers and, and daily people of prayer. So he grew up in, a, in an atmosphere of, of prayer. His dad was hardworking. His mom, he had a, a, well, he's Italian, so he had a very tender relationship with his mammy, but um, he had a particularly close relationship to his mom. Just seemed like a wonderful lady of prayer altogether. So as he was growing up, as a child, his health wouldn't have been the best. He wouldn't have been, uh, wouldn't have had a strong constitution. Um, he suffered from little bouts of gastroenteritis and things, and he, so he wasn't, he wasn't the strongest or healthiest child. Uh, because they were poor, he had to work a lot. So he had to work tending sheep and goats uh, in the hills. So schooling would have been terrible. He would have missed an awful lot of school. So at the age of 10, uh, he wanted to enter the Franciscans. 10, which is obviously quite young. Uh, so they, his mom brought him and he spoke to the Franciscans there and they kind of, they didn't say no, but they said, <clears throat> um, you need better education because obviously we, we read, we read the, the Liturgy of the Hours and that in Latin at the time. So you'll need better schooling. So his dad, just a quite, quite, I think I find this quite amazing, his dad in order to, to facilitate this, in order to make this possible, his dad went to America to work and sent the money back to the family so that they could pay for a tutor to teach Pio, Francesco was his name at the time, to teach Francesco how to, how to read. You know, so his dad went to America to work. Like, I, uh, just uh, such, such faith and such selflessness, such a, self, such a loving family. Absolutely incredible. So at the age of 15, after five years of tutoring and learning, uh, Pio was able again, Francesco was his name before uh, he entered, uh, was able to enter at, the, uh, at that age then at 15. So while there, he <clears throat> was prayerful, unassuming, relatively quiet, uh, worked away, all was relatively good uh, until World War II kicked in in uh, 1915, where he then, being of the age for drafting, was drafted uh, into military service. We don't often think of that, Padre Pio as, as a draft into military service. The Lord protected him, though. It's like, this, have you ever heard that story, good look, bad look, who knows? Uh, well, 
he was drafted into military service, sounds like bad luck, uh, but because of his bad health, he, he, they constantly had to send him home. So his bad health saved him from military service. So, you know, he'd be drafted in, he's going to be sent off somewhere and he'd get sick, so they'd send him back to the monastery. And then call him again, maybe a couple of months later, and he'd do, I don't know how long, a couple of weeks in, in the military, he'd be about sent off again, and then he'd get sick and they'd, they'd send him off home. So he didn't have to do actually any shooting, basically. So his sickness protected him. In that same year then when he was sent home, 1916, during confession, he feels this desperate pain in his hands and feet and his side. And these wounds start to open up and start to bleed. And he had no idea, well, he had heard about these things like from <coughs> St. Francis. He knew what the stigmata was. But he didn't plan this, foresee this, orchestrate this, pray for this. This wasn't his, you know, he was a, a hidden Franciscan in, in, in the middle of Italy, like where his goal was to pray, uh, not to be in any way drawing attention to himself. So <clears throat> he had this desperate pain. Went to his superiors about it, and uh, they had him checked out. And the, the wounds would, would constantly bleed. They constantly bled, but they smelled of roses. Uh, Padre Pio would have been one to undergo or undertake great sacrifices too. So he didn't eat that much. He didn't sleep that much. Losing that amount of blood every day, you need to, you need to be eating to, to replenish the blood loss. But he didn't. Uh, as is often the case, when the Vatican heard about this, initially they were quite sceptical because you, you can't have people hurting themselves, claiming to be stigmatists, drawing huge crowds, and then everyone discovers it's a fake in the end. So the Vatican were, were very reticent <clears throat> and reluctant to uh, sanction anything or, or sign off anything. So he was investigated. And it was seen that indeed the, the wounds were not self-inflicted uh, and that he was above board. But for, uh, as a precaution, he wasn't allowed to celebrate Mass publicly for a number of years. <clears throat> so this was obviously a great suffering for him. But keeping in mind, you see, the Lord sees the big picture. He's not allowed to celebrate Mass publicly. But what's happening in all of this, in all of this offered suffering, in all of this kind of behind the scenes, as soon as, as he is allowed, massive crowds will come. He will become internationally known, having never left the country. So the Lord is able to turn all of these things to the good for those who love him, as St. Paul says. He's able to turn all of these things to the good. So when he's allowed to celebrate Mass, huge crowds gather. Uh, people are coming from all around to see him, to talk to him, to be blessed by him. Because word went, word spread quickly that this, this, this is a holy man. So what kind of holy things, what kind of things did he do that uh, made him so famous? Well, firstly, he was a profound man of prayer. So he'd get up every morning at half three. Half three and... Uh, do two hours of preparation for Mass, celebrate Mass at half five. At half, after Mass then, he'd have a glass of water, that was his breakfast, go to the sacristy and hear men's confessions in the morning, uh, women's confessions then later on during the day. So <clears throat> when he'd take a break for, for his lunch, he had one meal a day. So relatively simple, about three or 400 calories of food a day and uh, then back to confessions. So he heard confessions for... 
about 16 hours a day. 16 hours a day. And when people would come to him for confession, he <clears throat> had the gift of being able to read souls. So at times it would happen that somebody would come to him and they would say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Say their confession. And then he would say, is there anything else? And the penitent might say, no. And he would say, are you sure? And they would say, yes. And then he would either tell them what they had done, that they hadn't confessed, or in certain occasions, if it was required, he'd say, get out. You don't want to go to confession. And just send them out to the confessional. Again, if that happened in Ireland, there'd be scandal. Uh, but these are Italians. They can handle it. Uh, they're, they're tougher skinned than us. Uh, so he would, he would send these people out. And, and often, you see, it was kind of a... It was, it was like a, a, a mom or dad scolding their child. The person would leave, and they'd be sitting there in the church going, what didn't I say? What didn't I say? Why, why was he so rude? Or, or why was he so blunt? And they'd reflect, and they'd reflect, and they'd think about it. And then they would discover there was something. There was, there was something. There was something in their lives. There was some sin, some unforgiveness, something from their past that they were harboring and not willing to let go of. And this kind of shock. Because remember, these people had been going to confession regularly anyway, a lot of them. But this kind of wake-up call from Padre Pio was kind of shook them into doing a proper examination of conscience and discovering the real sin or the, the cause of the sin or whatever it was that was holding them back. Then, thankfully, very often, they would go back to confession. And Padre Pio would say, ah, you remember, you remember. And then the confession would, would proceed as normal with, that, with valid absolution. So he was, he was very... He, has a, he knew he was able to read souls, but he, always, he only used that for the, for, the, for the good of the soul, for the healing of the soul. He was also uh, a, a, quite an amazing miracle worker. There's one story told of a, a, a young girl named Gemma who was born without pupils in her eyes. So it's a very rare condition, obviously blind. So her parents had taken her to various doctors and said, look, look if she has, she has no pupils, we can't, we can't put pupils in. Um, it's just, it's, she, she would be blind for life. So her parents had given up. Her grandmom didn't. And so Granny said, we're going to this Father Pio. We're going to Padre Pio. So they went to Padre Pio. And they went to, one, to, to his Mass in the morning. And afterwards, after Mass, on his way out, Padre Pio shouts into the crowd. And there was a lot of people there. He says, Gemma, come here. Gemma, come here. So Gemma comes forward with her, with her granny. Well, more her granny pushes her forward, actually. was, was how, how, how the story is told. Granny pushes her forward. And uh, he says to her, Gemma, you should go to confession and receive Holy Communion. So she does. She goes to confession and receives Holy Communion. And later on, he sees her during the day. And he says, Gemma, how are you, how are you feeling? And she says, I'm feeling good, Father. I'm feeling good. And then he blesses her. He says, may the Lord bless you through our prayers of Our Lady and so on. And in that moment, she cries out loud because she can see. She's healed. But the, the miracle on top of the miracle is that she still had no pupils in her eye. But she was able to see. She could see with no pupils. So it, was, it, was, it wasn't just to say the miracle of the healing and you can kind of, I, I, anybody could fake a healing and say, well, I was blind and now I can see, so there you go. Um, I can see, even though I have no pupils, because, because I received a blessing from Padre Pio. That's uh, a fairly substantial miracle. Uh, he, 
healed all sorts of people from, with all sorts of ailments. Many people started to come to many, many sick people started to come for healing. And along with that then, many donations were coming to him. And he said, I don't want money. I'm a Franciscan. I can't do anything with this money. So we'd build a hospital. So all of the, the donations and everything then got funneled into uh, the hospital there in uh, San Giovanni Rotondo. And that's where they, they, to this day, it's functioning as a hospital to cater for, for all the sick people. So other people, like, he would heal people, yes, but he would also send them to their doctors if there was something that, that a doctor could do. But a, a, a profound man of prayer. He prayed constantly, as in constantly. He was able to hold a conversation while you see the thumb finger through the rosary beads. He would be praying the rosary constantly. And when seminarians came to visit him on one occasion, he said, love our lady, love her lots, and make her loved. So he had a, a, a wonderful love for our lady as well, probably stemming also from his very tender love for his own mother. So fast forward to us today. <clears throat> it's always nice to hear these stories, but better again to know what we can learn from these saints, what we can apply to our own lives. So, Padre Pio's success was rooted in his fidelity in the little things. Padre Pio never set out to be famous, never set out to be um, a preacher, teacher, stigmatist, none of that. He was faithful to the daily things. And even though his daily life, especially for the first uh, before his ordination till the, for the first like 29 years, his daily life seemed kind of miserable in a way, blighted with ill health, poverty as a, as a child, things, things didn't look good on the outside. But the man was full of profound faith that the Lord can turn anything into good. And so in his poverty, he loved his childhood. In his illness, he offered it up during the, the, those years then of, of the sigmat and all the pain and discomfort that they would cause, he offered everything up. And such then was the, 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 the grounding uh, in this love for the Lord that his missionary success was second to none. Absolutely incredible. He died in 1968 and became, was already world famous at, the, at, at that point. But all of this was due to his fidelity in the little things, doing the little things of every day out of love and offering up the sufferings of every day. So we ask the Lord today to teach us to offer up the discomforts, the problems, the breaking technology, the uh, disappointments, the failed initiatives, everything, all these kind of things that happen in daily life. We ask the Lord to teach us how to offer them up, to surrender them to him, to trust him that he will take care of everything we need and that he will bring good out of every difficulty and out of every cross. Amen.